right. God is good. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want to say thank you so much for all of you who have uh, received my family and I to come and be a part of the Restoration Christian Fellowship. It's a long name. Uh, church. Amen. Boy, I tell you, I was having trouble trying to do the little internet thing. And I said, I was glad it was just RCF. I couldn't spell restoration. I was messing it up. <laughs> I do all that reading and can't spell worth a lick, boy, I tell you. Um, but I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be a servant of the Lord. And prayerfully today, uh, God will work uh, through me and out of me and continue to speak on what it is that we have been talking about. So I want to get some of the pleasantries out of the way. My name is Jomo Thomas. You might say, where would you get that name from? It is African. For you ask, it is Kenyan. I was named after the first president of liberated Kenya from Great Britain. So a lot of times people want to know who your name is and where it came from. And so um, I'm here today with my lovely wife who uh, has decided to stay married to me after a few years of realizing who I am. And so I appreciate uh, my wife. And then I have two little minions running around somewhere. Uh, I don't know where they are, but... Uh, You'll see one that's tall that looks like me, and you'll see one that's kind of in the medium that looks like her, amen, and, and then you'll know. So um, there's so many people we can thank and so many things we can say, uh, but I really want to spend time talking about the message and the Bible, so please forgive me if I uh, don't thank everyone. I just want to thank everyone. I just want to say really thank all of you, leaders, pastors, Pastor Felix, uh, 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 Pastor Katani just been really gracious in receiving us into the church. And so he asked me, uh, or asked, or is it asked? It's not asked. He didn't ask me. He asked me, because uh, if he had asked me, we'd have had some problems that night. Um, but he asked me um, to continue sharing in the message that he had been speaking on. And so I was really honored by that, because typically, uh, you know, pastors, shepherds, they typically like to finish up their own series, and so I was a little like, you want me to do what? So I said, do you want me to finish it out and kind of leave it hanging for you to come back and complete it, or do you need me to tie it off? He said, well, brother, I need you to tie it off. So I'm like, wow, okay. So my task today uh, is to continue to share on the thought and the idea uh, that the church was going in from the missionary experience of the missionary team that went to Malawi. And I didn't go to Malawi, so I cannot speak directly to what they experienced. But what I am going to try to do today is connect uh, uh, through what Pastor Felix has been saying through the scriptures to how the Lord uh, has spoken to me and share in a way, if everything works out well, that kind of continues to give us a framework on how to build wells so that people don't just see us, but they see the selfless love of God uh, that's permeated in this world so that people's hearts are more pliable for receiving the gospel. So my goal today is we'll open up the Bible, we'll read the scriptures, I'll pray, I'll do a backdrop, and then we'll kind of get into what I believe God is saying to me for this moment and this time. Does that sound good? Amen. All right, that sounds good. So if you have your Bibles, which you should, this is the Bible-believing church, open up with me to the book of Luke chapter 10. And I use the English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, but it should work uh, whatever translation you're using. And hopefully I won't have a lot of technical difficulties with my iPad here. And if you're there, say amen. All right. If you're not there, say wait. I don't wait. See? Our wait people got to hurry up, though. All right. We're here. All right. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1. Uh, through 12, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll jump down and read verse 17 through 20, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll kind of get into it there. So here's what the Bible says. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. 
whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of the town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, this, so nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. I'm going to skip real quick and jump down to verse 17. And it says this, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents, and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you nothing shall hurt you nevertheless do not rejoice in this meaning don't rejoice in the fact that you have cast out demons or that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven Lord, we thank you today and we lift up your name for the opportunity to gather as the people of God in this place, this locale where we can honor you. Now, Father, as your word goes forth, we have the confidence that it will not return to you void. Now, Lord, let your servant move out of the way and let you speak what should be spoken, not what ought not to be spoken. And let those that hear it embrace it in the depths of their hearts. Every negative thought, every negative attitude that will keep your people from receiving the truth of your word. We come against it. We believe that in the name of Jesus, their minds are free right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So here's what we have. Um, there's a team that go, to, that go to Malawi. They have this experience. They come back, and in the experience, our, our leader, Pastor Gilbert, wants to share through his experience what God was saying to him. And several of the things that he shares is that uh, they go to Malawi, they learn a lot from the culture, they experience being in people's homes, eating food that is not customary for us lazy, selfish, uh, McDonald-eating Americans, right? And so in that scenario... Um, what begins to happen is he begins to see some things in his travels. And so we're kind of living vicariously or looking through his lens as he shares with us his experience. And so one of those experiences that he brings out is that there's a city, and in the city you have these churches, and mostly Christian churches, and there's some Muslim mosques, and then if you go on the perimeter of the city, uh, you have less Christian activity and more Muslim mosques. And then as you go out into what he calls the sticks or the bush, or into the jungle, as we would call it, um, you seem to have more Muslim mosques. Kind of sounds correct, right? I'm, a, I'm on point. Am I connecting? Y'all got to nod with me. Help me know what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. So in these Muslim mosques that he sees, uh, one thing that captures his eye, and we're just doing a recap here, is that he sees these wells next to the Muslim mosques. And these wells in the Muslim mosques represent for him and what he's understanding the culture to be a place where people can gather and receive resources and get connection and be taken care of given that they live in a region where water is not plentiful. Makes sense, right? Now, that's kind of difficult for us as Americans, and I, I move around a lot, let me say this, and I got ADHD, so I may jump subject, but I move around a lot in case people want to start throwing rocks and throwing tomatoes at me. It's hard to hit a moving target. Yeah, that's why I move around, man, you know. Yeah, you know, demons be throwing stuff, and you, you know, you move. It's, you know, I'm like Muhammad Ali up here. You know? So, basically, what we kind of get is this. You know, in America, we got water for days. I mean, we got water machines that pour out ice. 
and we take the frozen water and pour it over us, and then we go get more water and drink water. But when you're in Africa or you're in a place where it's a desert dry land, we used to live in New Mexico where water is plentiful, when you see a place with a well, you're probably really happy. I mean, it's water, right? I mean, anybody, I've been in the military, and you out in the field, and you go three or four days, well, really more than three or four days, but for the sake of the conversation, just three or four days, that's all I want to remember. Without taking a shower, man, it, it has an effect on you. It has an effect on everybody around you. So I, I'm a water person. I mean, I, I, you know, I like water. Like, Where's my water at? Let me get my water. See, I got water. Now, the reason why this is important, because the idea and the thought is that the Muslim mosques were providing a need for a community without necessarily... All right, well, um, take this off. I get it. I wasn't as excited about preaching as I was using his little earpiece. Got all up. People on TV like, you don't know what they doing. Got to get me undressed. Oh, right. Jesus. Now I can't use my hand. My wife is happy. She's like, the Lord answered my prayer. Yes, Jesus, because he was using his hands too much. She get mad. We'd be out to eat, and I'd be talking, and she'd be hitting me. And then people be like, wondering why she hit me, because she don't like for me to use my hands. I'm a hands guy. I'm going to still use my hands, baby. So we got these wells. And the idea is that the well, anyone might want to pick that up. The idea is that the wells represent meeting the needs of people, correct? And so the goal is to meet the needs of people, or at least the goal from the text appears to meet the needs of people before sharing the message so that people will be more pliable to hearing the message. That's kind of where we were at, right? All right, so now... My job and my task and what I'm going to pick up on, but before I do that, I do want to talk a little bit about what the big idea was that Pastor Felix had. So I want to read that. Let me get to that real quick. And so his big idea was every Christian is commissioned to work with God in providing solutions to life challenges while proclaiming God's reign in the earth, right? We kind of remember that. So now... He moves on and he gets to the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Good Samaritan, Samaritans and Jews are naturally enemies. And so you have this situation where you have this Samaritan going down the road. He tells this story to this lawyer who's looking to justify himself about um, who is thy neighbor. And in the conversation, we start going through that text. And I'm not going to read that text, but we're going to get to parts of the Bible. And in the midst of the conversation... Uh, the lawyer challenges him by asking who's the neighbor. So Jesus tells the story about the Samaritan who is natural. Now, this is important, natural enemies or hostile towards Jews. So it makes more sense that the person on the side of the road was a Jew. And he talks about a priest and he goes to a Levite and he skips over the Levite and goes to the Samaritan in which the Samaritan uses his own resources. Look at your neighbor and say, own resources to help what would normally be an enemy to help that enemy get well. Right, so that's, that's kind of where we stop and we start talking about all the other things. And if you came on Wednesday night, we had a lot of things to share about uh, why we have these issues. And so what I am going to be speaking about today, I want to go to that text just really quick, really focusing on verses 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, Pastor Felix has said this, so I'm going to reiterate this. The statement, I saw you fall, is both past tense, perfect meaning is absolute, happened in the past, but is a current reality taking place in the present with them. Meaning that whenever Satan fell, his kingdom is continuing in the falling process. Right? So there's a continuation of the fall. There's, that means that Satan fell, whatever that was, we, we don't have time to really flesh that out. But whenever it took place, there is a continuation that God is seeing or Christ is seeing in the moment. Which says to us that in our life as we walk with Jesus Christ, we ought to continue to see the powers of darkness fall before us as we live out God's truth in this era. Makes sense, right? Now, just, just hold on. Don't get me all excited yet. Don't get too excited. Got to work this. Take my time. Here's my thought for you today. And I got to keep switching back and forth here. Because the mission is possible, but the challenge is we get caught up in the demonic warfare aspect in a way that's unhealthy. So here's what I want you to consider. If I say something, you don't agree with it, it's okay. We can work through it, uh, and, and we can process through it. But I want you to, to hear what I'm going to say. Demonic warfare is more than casting out demons of individuals who are not saved. Demonic warfare is more than casting out demons of individuals or out of individuals who are not saved. It is more implicitly tearing down strongholds through resisting the cultural influences of the principalities, powers, and rulers of wickedness in high places by living an obedient life to Christ and making a difference in the lives of people we come in contact with through, listen to this, indiscriminate, selfless, sacrificial love. Now, you give me a moment, I'll work this out. Basically, what we think is that doing spiritual warfare is coming in the church, speaking in a tongue over someone that don't know what you're talking about when you say it. That's a whole nother conversation. And I'm not against speaking in tongues. Listen, I believe in the power of prayer and praying in your tongue. But I just want you to hear me. That is not demonic warfare. Second, Casting out a demon in somebody that is not saved in itself does nothing necessarily to continue the tearing down of the stronghold if the person who has the demon cast out doesn't come to Christ, gets filled with the power of the Spirit, and is transformed in their life. What they do is, you know the scripture, you cast out the demon, they go their way, and then that demon comes back with seven more demons stronger than himself, re-enters the person that's empty because they don't have the power of the spirit and then the first state is worse than the last so now basically the challenge for us is really understanding demonic warfare so let me let me present this I'm gonna say something it may hurt just give it a moment the reality is and I'm doing this off memory because I don't feel like switching back to my notes well first of all the truth is um Unsaved people can cast out demons. See, well, yeah, unsaved people can cast out demons. The Bible says this, and I think it's in Matthew, somewhere chapter 7, uh, and, and we, we'll figure it out, but it, it definitely is in Matthew. He says, um, Lord, Lord, not many that says, Lord, Lord, to me who enter in. He says, have we not done many, mighty many works in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? He says, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now, the word never there is in the absolute. It's, 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 it has the Greek uh, participle, the absolute Greek participle, ooh, in front of it, which means is absolutely, objectively negative, meaning that it's not subjective, it's objective, meaning there was never, ever a relationship with you. Not that you were saved and you fell away. Not that you was a believer and you had some struggles. I never had relationship with you even though you were casting out demons. 
So unsaved people can cast out demons. So just casting out a demon out of another unsaved person absolutely means nothing. In fact, I will go on to say that if, I, if I'm really evil and I'm really, really, really trying to confuse you, I would say higher level demons cast out lower level demons all the time to throw you off the trail. See, the Bible says this, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Satan's kingdom cannot stand because it's already fallen, so that tells me it's already divided. So another demon has no problem with ratting out another demon. A liar always tells on another liar. A thief always steals from another thief. So, so that in itself is an irrelevant issue for me. I'm just, I just, you know, I don't know what y'all think. But here's the challenge. Most of us have taken positions and titles for more money, prestige, and affirmation. Not because we really want to make a difference in the kingdom. So our problem is, is that while Jesus Christ has paid the price for our life, Satan has bought us off with his comfort. See, the reason you can't topple the kingdom it's because you're benefiting too much from the kingdom. There's, there's too much we're getting from the kingdom to topple it. So really, I'm fighting. Uh, this is, let me say that we all have played the mark, myself included. Y'all know what a mark is. We all done did that. We all have been the dirty cop that took the payoff, that arrested the lower level thief, but wouldn't do anything with the higher level thieves who are the principalities and the powers that are creating the systems that are oppressing people that are causing challenges because we get our jobs, our money, our affirmation, our career status from them and then we bring that into the church the ecclesiastical setting and then God forbid God wants to do something different and move stuff around we will fight tooth and nail for the pew that my great granny's uncle's cousin built and put his money on it how dare you change the color of the carpet how dare you remove me from my position why because I'm not really in it for the kingdom I'm in it for myself Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me work this in scripture. We already went through the scripture where we talked about the Good Samaritan. Now understand, in the Good Samaritan uh, narrative in Luke, the Good Samaritan was at odds with Jews, right? The Good Samaritan was at odds with the police. The police was at odds with the Good Samaritan. But you know how when we don't like a certain group, you know, white people like this, you know, we say stuff like that. Don't act like we don't say stuff like that. You know, black people, you know, you know how, you know how, you know how Negroes are. See, we say stuff like that. You know how Mexicans are. Because we at odds with folks. So then when it comes time to really helping them to build the well, they're your enemy at heart, so really you can't give selfishly to somebody that you're at odds with. Because you see them as an antagonist to you getting what you really want and going where you really want to go, which is really looking religious versus being godly. All right, Luke 18. Let me get there. I'm telling y'all to get there. I ain't even there, right? All right, let me get on over there. Be patient with me. And I want to say 18 and 18. So this is the story of the rich young ruler. I love this story. It's a good story. Might not be real good after I finish telling it, but it's a good story right now. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus heard this and said to him, one thing you still lack. 
Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Seeing that he had become sad, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to pick up some of this later, but this is what I want to say. First, I don't think the issue is us having things. The issue is things having us. So let's, 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 let's establish that before you, we, we misrepresent what I'm going to say. But here is the scenario as it relates to building wealth. So those of you that were here on Wednesday night, uh, I'm going to use this statement that Pastor said. I'm not talking about our pastor. I'm just using him being transparent because I think it fits where we're, where we're talking. There was a young lady that was sitting in the, in, out here, and she made a statement about another church. I'm not going to say the name. And they had raised some money for some victims of the Aurora shooting. And they raised a certain amount. And as we were talking, we were talking about the difficulty. Now, listen to me. Uh, if we raise that amount or if we had that amount, giving it indiscriminately, selfishly to someone else. So here's what we're going to paint a picture of. We're going to assume that whatever that church is, raise that money, that the people they're giving the money to doesn't go to their church, aren't going to be members, probably don't believe in Jesus Christ, but the church is going to give those resources to these people to just help them where they are. We're just going to assume that. We don't know. I can't speak for them. I'm not speaking for them. In the process of the conversation that we had on Wednesday night, one of the things that Pastor Felix brought up, and this is important because he's being transparent, but he's really projecting out also to help us see some things. He says, I don't know if I could have done it because I have all these other personal things going on. He says... I got a house I could pay off. But here's where it really gets difficult for us as believers. He says, we have our own ministry. We got things that we can do here. Now, I want you to think about this. Again, this is not an attack on our pastor. This is not an attack on our church. The reality is I know very little about our church because I'm relatively new. So anything that I'm saying, I'm speaking from an overarching perspective of Christianity, not necessarily about this local house. But his statement was important because he was using it to project something. We get so wrapped up in what we need and where we need to go that we're unwilling to selflessly sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure, and our truth for other people who cannot give back to us and reaffirm that we are spiritual. Let me, let me make it, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me really go deep. Basically what happens for us as believers is we're trying to figure out what being blessed is. And so the American context that the devil, the principalities, and the powers have created is a religious system that's void of spiritual truth. So what we've done is we've been conditioned so that we cloak ourselves in a religious setting to believe that we're doing what is right when really we've been tricked to being selfish and thinking about ourselves. So everything that we ultimately do is to compete with other churches, other believers to show that we are spiritual when really what is calling us to be spiritual is to sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure, and our truth for the benefit of others that may never, ever, ever, ever tell you thank you. See, I found this out a long time ago. I had a wise mentor tell me this. Now, whether we can live it out or not, here's the case. You cannot do things for the Lord and will credit for what you do. Can't do it. The problem is the way, let me, let me, let me break it. So the way America is, and I'm only speaking from our America, not that everything in America is bad, but think about this. We live in a democratic society that's based on capitalism. And capitalism is where I capitalize on dysfunctional people 
so I can make money off of you so I can feel good about myself. Now, Pastor Derek, can I use you for example? Pastor Derek made this statement. Now, understand, you cannot break free from a system that you're benefiting from. Pastor Derek was preaching, and I, boy, I about lost it. He, he don't know. And he was talking about when he was selling houses. And he was talking about stated loans. This is demonic warfare. Listen to me. He said it wasn't illegal, but he knew it was spiritually wrong. See, what, what, what the enemy has done is he's got us to think that somehow the American legal system is the same as God's righteous standards. And it ain't. And so the reason he couldn't break free in the moment and stop doing it is because he was benefiting from it. He was being paid off. To look the other way, you all right, me picking on you? You going to say, give me some barbecue? I'm, I'm getting some barbecue, right? Sorry. Because you promise. I mean, you got old people today promise. You know you get to preach and use them as an example. Now get over here and be a little small plate. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just gonna you already know I'm setting this up so that the plate gotta be big. All right, all right. I mean, I'm, look, look, that brother, let me say this real quick. I'm gonna get back to the point. He brought me over his house, he fed me so good. And then they sent me home with a plate, and he shook my hand. I said, you know you ain't getting rid of me now, don't you? <laughs> it's done. You, once you feed me, that man, that's it. I, man, I tell you, boy, you, my wife would tell you, you give me a book and some food, and we friends for life. <laughs> he didn't give me no book, though, but that's all right. Sorry. But here's, here's the point. The system, the principalities, and the powers create a culture that we buy into to make us think we're spiritual, but really we're religious. How you know you're religious is that you hold on to everything you have for yourself to prove to yourself and to prove to others that you're spiritual. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just want you to consider it. So then when it comes to selflessly giving, selflessly giving, where you're not going to get a pat on the back. Nobody's going to know. No one is going to actually come around you and celebrate you. You can't do it. And I'm not just talking about finances. See, see, this is, this is our challenge. We are so busy in the rat race trying to get affirmation from other people. The Bible says this in, in, in the Gospel of John. I want to say it's in the fifth chapter somewhere. He says to the, to the Pharisees, how can you believe God when you're too busy getting glory from man? See, our belief issue is tied up in other people affirming us, and they affirm us through our jobs, our positions, our titles, our cars, and then we bring that into the church, and when the church doesn't have a certain look, a certain cultural feel to it, then we don't feel like it's having church. So what happens is we begin to try to build everything about what we think blessed is, and blessed is really blessing other people in a selfless, indiscriminate way. Indiscriminate means it's not based on whether I like you. It's not based on whether I agree with you. It's not even based on whether you did me right. In fact, when we get to the text, the Bible talks about blessing those that despitefully use you. Now, now, now this, is, this, is, this is what we do. We philosophize that out the text. I made that word up. That's my Jesse Jackson word for today. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. That's mean, right? I shouldn't have said that. I don't have nothing bad about Jesse Jackson. Just, just, I'm sorry. But he'd be making up some words. But anyway, that's, 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 anyway, that's bad. That's gonna, man, can we scratch that from the transcript? That ain't on TV. Online guests, just, just, yeah, scratch that out. That's, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. All right. But. We see that and we say, well, you know, God don't want you to be no fool. You know, God don't want you to let people use you. We talk ourselves out of being obedient because truly that's the mark of spirituality. So with a rich young ruler, 
it's the same issue that the, legal, the lawyer was having. The real issue was simply this. Will I resist the temptation to build my own kingdom for my own self to look good about myself for myself or will I break free of the system that has me captive by giving it away? I'm going to give you the answer. Now listen, the challenge is that we have a system that makes us be selfish. The answer is you give it away. I know it don't sound deep. I'm going to prove it to you in the text. I'm going to prove it to you in the text. He's going through, in Luke, the love your enemy, do good to them. He's going through all that. And I want to say it's Luke chapter 6, uh, verse, starting verse 28, right? We're not going to go there because I, for the sake of time. But, but here's what he says in Luke 6 and 38, and we quote it. We quote it for offering, but you're going to get the principle. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. What measure you give, it shall be measured to you again. And we be spiritual when we say it, don't we? Yeah. Well, now, that is true. But that text is really talking about the giving of forgiveness. Now, now, we use it for offering because 2 Corinthians says the same thing. And John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. So God wants you to have the heart of a giver. He gave indiscriminately. He gave to those that could not give back to himself. In fact, in Romans, you know the text. He said, while we were yet sinners, he gave. Now, what we do is we hold on to so we can't collectively come together and move from theory to practice where we stop theorizing being Christians and practice being Christians who give indiscriminately so people see the love of the Lord and then are set free. So what we do is this. We figure out a way to justify how not to give it. I'm just, I'm just saying, I just, I'm just saying, look, look, hey, we battle over money all the time. How much to give? You know, do you want net blessing or you want gross blessing? Do you give off the time? I mean, just, I mean, how much time to give? How much, all that stuff happens. So let's, let's be real about it. Nobody's exempt from this. The challenge is a lot of the issues really are about us, not about helping people. They're really about us. They're not about helping people. So now, most of us, some of us, a lot of us have hurts that we've experienced in the body of Christ. Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, for what measure meet with all it shall be measured to you. That's the King James Version of it. So in our hurt, we're trying to fill our hurt with stuff so we don't give back to others. Now, if we forgave the church and church folks, for all the dumb stuff that they've done, we probably wouldn't have a problem giving it. But most of us aren't giving collectively to build the wells for the community because we're withholding our talents and our time, not to mention our treasure, because where a man's treasure is, that will his heart be, because we've been hurt, and now we have to prove to people who we are. Y'all following me? And so the struggle, as they say, is real to break free from the powers of the enemy that have paid you off to think it's about building your kingdom. So now, how do we do it? Right? How do we do it? It's mission possible, right? Mission possible. So here's, this is not even in my notes. This is something totally different. All right, here's what happens in church. We do program and program and program because we're trying to grow the church. What we should be doing is doing selfless acts of mercy because we're trying to impact people. Now, I can say this because not in this church, not in this church, but I pastor, okay? Lead pastor, executive pastor, acting pastor. I mean, you name the pastoral titles, I didn't have it. And I didn't fail at almost every one of them. Pardon? 
and I've had some successes. Probably had more failures than success, but I've definitely had some successes. But here's the thing. If you ask most people, and, and, I, and I definitely believe in preaching and teaching the gospel, when you start building the church, you're not really building the church to be a social service agency to the community. You're building the church to be a place where people can come and sing and worship. So the leadership doesn't reflect a skill set. And again, I'm not talking about this church. Most churches' leadership doesn't reflect a skill set where if they're full-time, they can go out and actually do ministry. Just, just watch me. Just watch. I'm, I'm going to use this as an example. Just follow along because we have to go from theory to practice. So whatever my tent-making trade is, I should be able to use that to provide a low-cost or no-cost service for the community. If, if you, let me just be honest with you. If you was to pay me to come on staff and I couldn't do that, you shouldn't pay me to come on staff. Because when I'm sitting in the office, I ain't doing nothing but taking up your space. Now, I'm not talking about all leadership. I'm just talking about a perspective of leadership that keeps us from reaching community. If you're a youth pastor, you on staff, you ought to be figuring out something that you do with the schools in the area where you impact their life. If you were an associate pastor, whatever, you ought to have some skill set that you've developed where people can come to the church throughout the day where the, the, the real ministers are coming in, giving their time and their ability to impact other people. What we do is we build a church leadership and we put it all on the church leadership or the lead pastor who can't do everything, by the way, so I'm not really speaking, but, but we don't set it up where the team is able to do ministry Monday through Friday, what we do is we set it up where the team is able to please you and glorify you on Sunday. Am I okay? I'm all right, I'm okay. Oh, I hope I don't get that pink slip in the mail. <laughs> Y'all laughing, I'm serious. No, I'm just <laughs> no, no, but, but really, we gotta be talk real, right? So now, so now, you, you're reading through scripture and you see all of this sacrifice that the Lord Jesus does. And we're going to do this. Turn with me to Philippians and then we're going to wrap up. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read something and then I'm going to quote a couple of scriptures that talks about how we do this. One, you need to know that you have the power dwelling on the inside of you to have a selfless, indiscriminate love for people. Listen to me. You have the power on the inside of you to demonstrate a selfless, indiscriminate love for people. Selfless meaning it's not about you. Indiscriminate means it doesn't discriminate love for people. That means that it's not based on whether they go to your church. It's not based on whether they're in your denomination. It's not based on whether they come from your philosophical background. It's strictly because God has placed his love in you to see people experience him. Regardless of whether they confess him or not. What we're trying to do is force the confession because the confession makes us look good. You know how many people I brought to Christ? You ain't brought nobody to Christ. God saved them. But anyway... Another part of the conversation. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Let me get there. I keep telling y'all to go there and I ain't here. What kind of leadership is that? That's why I need leadership. <laughs> he laughing too. He's like, you write these notes. No. <laughs> All right. Verse 1 says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. You see this word love, right? Being full accord in one mind. Watch this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Ooh, Lord Jesus. But in all humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
lets each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, meaning in the group of the fellowship, our angle thought process ought to be the same. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we know the rest of the story. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Let me say this. Jesus Christ... God manifested in the flesh comes through the vaginal womb of a creature that he created submits to that creature and all the other creatures that he created so he can die for folks that were understand he died because folks killed him but he laid down his life but you get the point for folks that was not even wanting him to be there To save folks that didn't want to be saved. God, flesh, for folks that didn't want to be saved because they liked sinning, had sin on their calendar. I'm going to sin like this on this day. And I'm going to sin like this on this day. Uh, on this day, this is really how I'm going to sin. We're going to get... You weren't thinking about God. And he died for you indiscriminately. And then he asked you to do the same thing to show other people the love. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That ain't what you're calling me to do. I'm called over here. So in our challenge, the humanity part is how do we do this? This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. If we keep going in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it's 12 and 13, starting with actually verse 11. And I read the scripture and we prayed over the youth. He says, wherefore you always were careful to obey in my presence. Now in my absence, I need you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is working. Actually, the King James says, for God is in you both working and giving. Well, I messed it up. Lord, help me out with this one. All right. For God is in you uh, to work in the will for his good pleasure. Now, I like the NLT version. New Living Translation says this. You were careful to obey when I was there, but while I'm gone, I need you to be more careful to do what's right. For God, so excuse me, he says this. Exercise your faith. Put it into practice. For God is in you, listen to this, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So that means this, that as a believer who cannot be demonically possessed, because greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world, that I have a power dwelling on the inside of me that reveals the love of God out of me to folks who do not look like me, smell like me, think like me, there is a strength that is down on the inside of me giving me the ability and the power to do what is right, to live a sacrificial love life for those who may never, ever appreciate what I do. But the reason I do it is not because I'm going to get a pat on the back, not because somebody's going to say well done, but because God loves me, he pulled me out, and I want other people to experience the same thing. And so now... I fight through the struggle of building my life according to the rulers of this world and I cast down every imagination and every thought. I take it captive. The reason why is because I understand I can no longer be bought by the enemy and the only way for me to break free from his control is to give it away.
See, I'm attached to it. Man, people telling you you preach good. You were talking about your mom. I understood. I ain't even invite my mom today. Let me tell you why. One, I wanted to go to her own church. <laughs> Y'all laughing, but she got a church, and I wanted to go to her church. She don't need to come see me preach. She got a preacher. I don't need her affirmation to preach. And I'm not speaking against you, but, but I had to grow to this. Listen, listen. Go to your church. If you want to come see me, that's great. That's fine. Because it felt too good to have her there. See, a lot of things we do is because we need people to validate us. So to break free, and so how Satan validates us is with people, places, and things. The people we know, the places we go, and the things we possess. So the only way you can break free of that is you got to get that stuff away. See, that's really the answer. We don't like the answer. So when a church is struggling to fulfill mission, all it tells me after all these years of being in ministry, they're not giving it away. They're not giving it away. Let me, let me say this last thing, and Tracy can come up here. And we kind of already talked. In 1 John, he says this. The believer cannot continue in sin. Christian cannot continue in sin because God's seed is in him or abiding in him. And I'm paraphrasing. God's seed is abiding in him. Now that word seed is the word sperma. The believer cannot continue practicing or living out unregenerate sin because God's seed is abiding, living. God's sperm, his DNA is deep down on the inside of us. And so as a result, I can resist the devil in all the selfish impulses that I have. And he will flee. And what I must do in the midst of it is reform and reshape my life and my thought process on how to give away my time, my treasure, and my truth to other people that need it but can't give me anything back. God's spirit is in each one of us giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's in you. Not, you ain't got to figure that one out. If you're a believer, you confess in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can break free from the power of the enemy that has you connected to a world system that makes you think you are measured by your possessions, how many friends you have on Facebook, how many folks you got on your Twitter account, whether your church is large or small. God works in small, medium, and large churches. That has nothing to do with whether God is active in your life. But y'all know how we get now. Again, I'm for growth. And God wants you to be free. And how you be free is you look at your life and you start giving stuff away. I'm, I'm, I'm being real. I'm not, I'm not talking about just wildly taking your stuff outside and sit outside and tell people to take it. But if you do, let me know because I'll come by. Get their numbers, bro, baby. We garage sale junkies, but you want to. I'm just saying, if you get that deep, if you get that deep on it, just let me know. We'll come by. Because I want you to feel, you know, I want you to know God loves you. TV. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Y'all think I happen, but I'm serious, but if you want to give it away, you know, I'm just. See, the flesh just rose up. I was like, man, maybe somebody has set a new TV. Like, I need a TV. I don't even watch TV. <laughs> that's, that's sad. Just, just sit your books out. I'll get your books. Yeah, we can read them again. But, but here's, here's what I'm saying. As ultimately, all of us have to figure out what God is calling us to do. And God is calling us all to give something away. We all have something God wants us to give. The question is, will we come together 
to fight against the enemy to give it together so that in our togetherness we have more to give. That's what we're struggling with. That's, that's what we need to figure out how to do. So I want to say this to you today as we get ready to close out. If you're here and you say, man, I never even knew I had something to give. I can't sing, which I can't. Um, I can't preach. I don't, um, I don't do this. I don't do this. Let me tell you what you have to give. You have the love of God to give. You have your care to give. You have your time to give to people. There are so many people in the world that are hurting, that are struggling to know that God loves them. And all they need is somebody willing to give a moment, to sit, shiver with them, to be quiet, hear their heart, and know that God loves them. Now, I don't really know, uh, in this church, you know, we, we come to gather because we're supposed to be believers. But sometimes we have people in our midst, and maybe online visitors, you're streaming, and you haven't even came to the place yet where someone has given you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know. Just because we gather here doesn't mean everybody's saved. I understand that. And I don't save anybody. And so I'm really big on this. I want you to hear me. I want you to know, particularly those of you that are online, but those of you here, that God can save you right where you are in your seat. He don't need you to come up to the altar. There's nothing wrong with the altar. I'm not against the altar. But God's saving power goes far beyond our humanistic issues where we need to touch people. So today, just because I'm, I just want you to understand that God works through us as humans. But in saving, God doesn't need us as humans to do it, to touch people. And I know we have a custom, ministers usually come up, we pray, and, and that's all right. If you want that, I want you to have that human touch. But I want to say this to you, particularly you on online, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, so that you have something to give. I want to say to you that if you really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins and in this moment of emptiness where maybe you're at home, you're looking, you're trying to figure some stuff out, in this moment of emptiness, you're saying, I, I need someone to deliver me. I need someone to break me free from this terrible cycle. I want to say to you that it's not by my prayer, but it's by your confession of faith that you trust in Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that right now, say, Lord Jesus, Father God, I want to accept your son today as my savior. If you do that, you say that from your heart, not from my prayer. My prayer is just, my statement is just helping you understand God will save you. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on uh, all type of externals. It's really based on your relationship with him. And salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It's not in Jesus Christ in this church, not in Jesus Christ in a man, but it's trusting in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. So I want to say if that's you, and you said that, we want to celebrate with you. I'm going to celebrate with you. Now, if you're here and you've heard the word, scripture, speak to you and say, man, I'm in a place, I just don't know if I can do it. I, I just don't, I don't have to give. In fact, I'm all gived out. I'm all gived out. I've been there. But there's a deposit in you that's immeasurable, innumerable, without measure called the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, if you are a believer, that's in you. There is a well of living water on the inside of you. And so that out of your bellies, when you share the love of God, will come rivers of life. I want to say if that's you today and you're struggling and you want someone to connect with you 
not pray and give it to you, but connect with you in prayer. The ministers, you guys, however y'all do it, y'all can come up, do y'all thing. Because I, I want, if people want somebody to connect, they can. But if not, I want you to stand to your feet just real quick. Stand to your feet real quick. And Pastor Derek's going to come. And I want to say this. Each one of us have to figure out what we need to give away. Each one of us need to figure out what we need to give away. Right where you are without coming down to this place, God, speak to them right now. Open up their minds and their hearts where they've been struggling to let go. I don't know whether it's drugs. I don't know whether it's time. I don't know whether it's finances. I don't know what it is that people need to give away. But my prayer is that right where they are, in the seats, on the internet, online, in the cafe, that you will release them right now from the struggle of bondage from this system that makes us think we have to hold on to everything, including hurt and pain. Touch them in a special way. Break free the chains that we can give it away. Lord, I give you, the song says, I give you all my dreams, all my plans. I place them in your hands. I give you my career. I give you my finances. I give you my family to do what you will. To build whatever wells you need to build in the community and in the job that you place me. And you, Heavenly Father, have the right to change it if you so desire. In Jesus' name, amen.